I hate losing things. How about you? Um, I can't tell you how many times I've lost my keys because one of my kids decided to grab my keys and play with it and then forget where they played with it. Um, not only do I lose my, my keys, I can't tell you how many times I have lost my truck. Anybody ever lost their vehicle? Um, I, I, I carefully remember where I park and I, and I, I look at landmarks so that I remember where I've parked when I'm going somewhere and, but something happens between the time that I go inside and when I come back outside. I know right where my truck is and I know that it's right here. But it isn't. Truth is, I am thankful for one of the greatest inventions of all times. The car finder. You got a car finder on yours? It's, it's, I walk around acting casual like I know where I'm going while I push the red button, red button on my key fob, listening for the horn. Anybody admit they've done that? Listen, if it wasn't for my car finder, my truck would still be in some mall parking lot somewhere. Truth is, as long as there are keys, they're going to be lost. Not to mention wallets, trucks, cell phones, TV remotes, matching socks, and occasionally small children. You see, whole companies exist because they know that you're going to lose things you want to find. Maybe you've seen this. It's tile. It's the ultimate gift for people who lose things. You put the tile on or in something that you don't want to lose. And then when you lose it, you open up an app on your phone and activate the sound on the tile so that you can hear what you've lost. If you lose your phone, all you have to do is find one of your tiles that you can't find without the phone and double push it and your phone will ring even if it's on silent. Now, if you lose the thing with your tile on it and your phone, you're stuck unless you happen to have a backup tile laying in a junk drawer that that you can find it whenever you need. Check out this video. Meet Tile Slim, the world's thinnest Bluetooth tracker. Tile Slim is as thin as two credit cards, which makes it perfect for wallets, pockets, and passports. Attach it to anything. Choose a ringtone with the Tile app. And then rest easy, knowing you can always find your things. Just ring your laptop and find it fast. If it's your phone that you're looking for, Press the button on any of your tiles, and your phone will ring, even when on silent. And if you lose your wallet, and it isn't where you last had it, Tile can still help you find it. Just ask to be notified when your wallet is found. And when any user in Tile's global network comes within range of your missing wallet, the Tile app will notify you of its most recent location. Tile Slim, the world's thinnest Bluetooth tracker. Get Tile Slim today and never worry about losing your wallet again. Tile, find what matters. What a great invention, right? Especially if you lose things. 
In this series, we aren't talking about car keys and phones. Instead, we're looking at elements of faith, scriptural commands, and characteristics of Christians that seem to be missing from the church. Before I get to today's example, or today's topic, I want to give you a few examples. Anybody here ever been to a sporting event? Right? You go to a sporting event, and you'll see the same thing every time. When there's a great play, your team scores or your team wins, what happens? Everybody shouts in excitement, right? Hands are in the air. There's high-fiving. There's like chest bumps and like crazy things. People go nuts at sporting events. Maybe you've got a child that plays Little League and you're like that crazy parent that's going, go, Little Johnny, go, Little Johnny. You're the best. You're awesome. It's T-ball. They're not going to get recruited for, for Major League Baseball. It's okay. You see, my family loves the Dallas Mavericks. Any other Mavericks fans in the house? Awesome. Six of us. Um, on March 7th, I took my wife to a Mavs game for our anniversary. And the Mavericks were playing the L.A. Lakers. And, and Dirk Nowitzki was on a quest for 30,000 points. You see, when he hit this, he would be only one of six players to ever hit 30,000 points in their career. And as he was inching closer to the 30,000 points, the crowd was going loud. I'm talking like it kept getting louder and louder and louder. And when Dirk hit that fadeaway that gave him the, the, gave him the threshold of 30,000 points, everybody was in that arena. They were on their feet. They were singing. They were shouting. And they were celebrating. celebrating. Truth is, is that arena erupted. I've never heard a building that was louder than that night. I tried to tell Tina something, and even though I was yelling right in her ear, she couldn't hear anything I was saying. Everyone in the place was shouting. This is what it looked like. Everyone's still on their feet. These two possessions of the second quarter. Dirk got one shot. He's about to get out. Down low against Larry Nance Jr. Here it is. He's got it. Remembered is associated with Dirk to be immortalized in statue one day. <laughs> Just looking the defense down like he's done so many defenders. And uh, you're talking about on tonight. Dirk has only missed two shots, eight for ten, to get his uh, his number. Sorry, Larry Nance Jr. It happens. Sometimes you're there for 30k. But it had to be somebody. Yeah. If I'm Derek, I'd go ahead and go full ice cube and get a triple double tonight. Why not? Elvitsky two away from Every 30 miles. Every time Dallas gets the ball, there's In that video, the reactions were the same. What happened? Hands in the air, shouting. And can I tell you, the arena yelled for like 15 minutes. People throw their hands in the air and they start shouting because something good happened in the game. But then you come to church and all that excitement's left at the stadium. In fact, if that same exact behavior happened in church, you look around and you think, what's wrong with that guy? Kind of seems backwards, doesn't it? 
Don't worry, listen, my goal today is not to guilt trip you or to force you to do something weird. I don't want you to be weird. Instead, I want to show you what the Bible says about something that has largely been lost by the followers of Jesus. It's time that we rediscover our shout. Preparing for this message, I read every verse in the Bible that talks about shout or shouting. And there are some great reasons to shout. One of the most familiar examples is found in the book of Joshua. Let me set the scene for after 40 years of in the wilderness and wandering around, God parted the waters of the Jordan River and the people of Israel crossed over into the promised land. And in Judges 5.1 says this, When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts melted and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. You see, God was with the Israelites, but there were still challenges and enemies to defeat. The story we look at today is the first battle that the Israelites faced in the Promised Land. They started at Jericho, the biggest city, the biggest enemy, and the biggest battle was first. Now, we wouldn't do it that way. We would find a small town and defeat it first. Then we'd, we'd find a village, and we'd conquer that larger village. Finally, we'd be ready to take on the big city, a place like Jericho. Not the Israelites, though. Full of faith and confidence, they started with the big fight. And Joshua 6, 1, which is where our text is today, I invite you to open and follow along with me. Now, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out, and no one Amen. You see, the people of Jericho were afraid. They knew God was with the Israelites. So they pulled everything inside the city wall and they closed the gates. They didn't allow people to go or to come. The wall was massive with a sheer face made of huge stones and it was several stories high and it completely surrounded the city. Verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Joshua had to think, Thanks, God, that's wonderful, but what about the wall? It doesn't look like you've delivered the city into my hands. So God told Joshua, March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have the priests carry trumpets of ram's horn, horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up. Every man straight in. God, you have got to be kidding me. We've been walking in the desert for 40 years. We're sick of walking. Come on, God, quit kidding around. Knock down the wall or rain fire down on the city and then we'll go in. you see, that wasn't Joshua's response. God told Joshua to march around the city for seven days and then shout. Joshua decided to obey God even though it didn't make sense. Verse 6, So Joshua called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. When he ordered the people advance, march around the city with the armed guards going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. 
When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Covenant followed them. Nobody said, what are we going to do? Listen, I, I know you're the leader that God put over us, but there is no way we're going to be marching around this city. Forget it. That is nuts. There was none of it. Instead, the people obeyed God's leader, and off they went. Verse 9 says, If the armed guard marched ahead of the priest and blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark, all this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the people, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Don't even say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. Not only did they have to walk, they weren't allowed to even talk. Can you imagine how boring that must have been? I imagine there probably wasn't any women in the group either. I'm joking. Some of you will get that here in 15 minutes. You'll be like, that wasn't nice, Pastor. It had to have been boring just walking around the city. But again, the people simply obeyed Joshua, and they obeyed God. Listen, there are probably several messages here in this passage. Obeying God, following God's leaders, shutting your mouth when God tells you to shut your mouth. But that's not what we're going to look at today. Verse 11, so Joshua had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the people returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. On one hand, they had to look incredibly silly. On the other hand, it, it might have been intimidating. The people of Jericho had to wonder, what in the world are those crazy Israelites doing? What are they up to? Why don't they just attack us? So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And they did this for six days. I imagine they were tired of walking and listening to the band play the same song over and over again. It wasn't easy or interesting. But on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that day they circled the city seven times. It was a long, hot, tiring walk. But silently, they marched around the city six times. And then, the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. You see, Joshua didn't ask the people. He commanded them. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the Israelites didn't say, no, we're not shouting, we're tired. We're going to sit down and rest our feet. They didn't say, we aren't shouting because we don't feel like it. No one said, sorry, I'm not emotional. I'm just not feeling it today. I don't think that's appropriate for God's people. If you want to shout, go ahead, but not me. I don't want to look stupid. Instead, when the trumpets sounded, the people shouted. 
The sound of their shout after being silent for seven days must have been amazing. They finally got to say something. Have you ever played the quiet game? Maybe you've tried playing it with your kids. And a minute of silence can feel like an eternity. So could you imagine not talking for six days? Because you were instructed not to. Then all of a sudden you got to shout. What an amazing sight it must have been. They finally got to say something. God said shout. Joshua said shout. So you know what they did? They shouted. All the bottled up emotion from all week came out in one incredible loud shout. I wonder what they shouted. The Bible doesn't say, but maybe they shouted, yes! Or, for God in his kingdom! Or victory! Hallelujah! Maybe the, tr- the trumpets played the, the notes leading up to it and went, da 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 Charge! Maybe that's what happened. I don't know. But Joshua's instruction to shout was interesting because quite obviously, the walls were still standing. Their, their shout, their victory shout, came before the victory. You don't see a lot of that, do you? People shout after the big play, after the comeback, after the win. They don't shout before something good happens. But the Israelites were different. It didn't look like God had given them the victory. But they shouted anyways because God commanded shout. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed so that every man charged straight in and they took the city. Listen, this wasn't two bricks fell off the wall and they climbed in. It wasn't just a a couple of bricks crumbled off and, and they climbed up to get into the city. It wasn't some freak weather pattern where a strong wind came and blew the wall down. It was obvious that God did it. God knocked down the wall when his people shouted in response to his command. Israel gained testimony to God's miracle-working power that day. And for generations, that story was told. And in fact, we're telling it today. Grandfathers would tell their grandchildren, I was there when we defeated Jericho without ever firing a shot. We marched around for seven days in absolute silence. We weren't allowed to even talk. Then finally the trumpets blew and we shouted. It was the loudest thing I've ever heard. We shouted and God gave us the victory. Maybe there's a battle in front of you. You're facing something that you can't overcome without God. You need a miracle. I've got an idea. Shout. Celebrate before the victory. Begin to radically praise God. Don't worry about what other people think. You serve a God that knocks down walls 
at a shout. When you face a big enemy or an overwhelming obstacle, shout. Why? Because God has already given you the victory. You see, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? A shout of victory before the battle? Why would you do that? Because you know who wins. After David defeated Goliath in their famous battle, 1 Samuel 17 tells us in verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. You see, a great victory against a powerful enemy had been won. And the Israelites did what you do at football games. They shouted in celebration after God gave them the victory. So when should you shout? I'm going to give you some things, and if you're taking down notes, these would be some good things to to write down. When should you shout? Shout before the victory in anticipation. Shout before the victory in anticipation. And shout after the victory in celebration. You got that before the victory in anticipation, after the victory in celebration. But there's a common theme there. It's that you shout. Listen, if you're facing a battle that looks unwinnable, shout. When, when you win a battle, shout. Listen, sometimes at the end of the song, chaps will say, give God a shout of praise and, and, they're encouraging you to worship God in a, in a scriptural way. But it's always awkward, isn't it? Like they say, shout to God, or do you believe that God's faithful, or shout if God's been good to you? And a handful of people say yes, maybe even a few shout. And everyone else just kind of looks at them like a deer in the headlights and claps. It's what happens, isn't it? Is chastity a crazy nut? No. She's challenging you to follow the scriptural pattern and shout. So why don't you shout? Maybe it's because you've seen out-of-control people that create a distraction in church, right? We've all seen those people. We've overacted to how people draw attention to themselves instead of God and allowed that to rob us from a a good, solid, biblical practice and a wonderful way to praise God. Listen, just because it's been abused doesn't mean it's not still valid. Right? Oh, I don't want to speak in tongues because I saw somebody do it wrong once. Or I don't want to give a word of prophecy because it's been abused in the past. You see, God gave us those gifts for a reason. And just because of the excess or the weirdness or the times that it was done wrong doesn't mean that we still shouldn't operate in those things. Just because we've seen somebody in the middle of a worship service start yelling and wailing and flopping on the floor like a catfish on the deck, which is weird, doesn't mean that we shouldn't shout. You see, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul addresses the church in Corinth. The services were loud, distracting, and out of control. And you know what he told them? 1 Corinthians 14, 40, everything should be done fitting in in a fitting and orderly way. The King James Version says, let all things done be decently, be done decently, 
and in order. Amen. Man, I am all for that. Everything in church should be done in a way that fits in, and it's not a distraction to others. If you randomly pick a line to shout, that's weird, and that makes people feel uncomfortable. If you shout all the time, it's really hard for people to worship around you. If you shout after every sentence I say, you even distract me. Now look, I want you to talk back, and if I say something, man, go on, pastor, come on. You know what I'm talking, but man, if you got somebody that like everything, they're like, go on, pastor, man, got it, go on, come on, oh yeah, and like all of a sudden that hanky comes out, and I was like, you want to look at him and be like, yo, I need you to chill, I'm trying to preach here, and you're like distracting everybody, like I can't even stick to my notes, but you can't do that because that's rude. So then you pass it for your glass of do it in a sermon, right? No, I'm joking. But listen, if you do that, it distracts from what God is trying to do. When that happens, we nicely ask people, hey, please don't be a distraction. You ever been in the service and, and a tongue came forth and it was just really awkward because it didn't fit with the flow of the service? And like everybody's like, oh, what do we do? Right? And, and it doesn't fit. It doesn't mean that we don't want those things flowing in our services. We want the gifts of the Holy Spirit manifest every week, but we want it to fit. So what does it mean? It means that we have to learn how to do it and when it's appropriate. The idea is that you don't want to be a distraction to what God is doing. Listen, shouting doesn't make you more spiritual. Singing loud, like to where people in front of you, like their hair is waving. <laughs> or like they reach back and, 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 and they're like wiping the spit off of their neck because you're like right there, like just, man, listen, we want you to worship passionately. But man, if their hair is doing like that and Chastity and the worship team are up here and they're like, man, that person's like blasting them out. That's weird. Listen, the only people that should be getting wet during a service is the people that sit on the first two rows from me preaching. Like, they, you don't want people spitting on your back of your neck, right? That's weird. You can become a distraction if you're not careful. And can I tell you, if we're really trying to foster the Spirit of God, if we're trying to foster a move of the Spirit, you can't be a distraction. Well, pastor, I'm just not sure if God wants me to, to give that tongue or give that thing. Well, listen, if you're not sure, then don't do it. And maybe, like, there's a portion, because we have to learn how to do these things, right? And you're like, man, and you come talk to me like, pastor, man, I was kind of feeling that, like, I was supposed to do this, but I just wasn't sure, so I didn't do it. And, and you know what? Can, can I give you guys a revelation? I hear from God. That's a good thing, right? And I sense what's happening in a service. And you know what I may tell you? Man, you, you absolutely heard from God. You should have done that. And that's okay. I know you're still new and trying to learn how to use this. But the next time you feel that prompting, do it. Or I may say, man, I think you're right in not doing that because I think it would have disrupted the flow of service. Why? Because we want to do things that's in a fitting and orderly manner. We still want to be spirit-filled and have the gifts of the Holy Spirit done, but we don't want it to be weird. We don't want it to be out of place. You see, doing all these things, things don't make you super spiritual. It doesn't. 
Listen, I'm not going to judge you by the volume of your voice. If all you do is, is shout, stop it. Remember, the Israelites were quiet for six days long before they ever shouted. But just because some people are distracting, just because we want things to be decent and in order, doesn't mean that we should avoid a biblical form of worship. The Bible is clear. Shouting is a part of our worship. Psalm 33.1 says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Why? Verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all He does. You see, a shout of joy in worship celebrates God's faithfulness. A shout of joy in worship celebrates God's faithfulness. Has God been faithful to you? Has He? Then shout. If you don't know what to shout, try Amen. Let's try that. Can we do that? Say Amen. Amen. All right, that, that wasn't bad. How about hallelujah? Can we get a hallelujah? hallelujah. All right, how about a thank you, Jesus? Thank you. All right, or maybe you can just go to like the throwback of a good old Ric Flair style. Woo! Woo! <laughs> All right, like, you know what I yell sometimes? And what I yell most of the time? Yes. Yes. That's simple. Look, some of you are woo girls, and like, if somebody tells you to yell, you're like, woo! And that's okay. But you gotta learn to shout. Often we just shout whatever comes natural for us. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 27 was written when, when David was on the run from Saul, who was trying to kill him. This is the one that I read when I'm in times of trouble. It's super encouraging. Starting in verse 1 of Psalm 27, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advanced against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attacked me, they will stumble and they will fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me. Even then will I be confident. One thing I ask the Lord, and this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all the days and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At His tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. You see, a shout in worship celebrates God's protection. 
A shout in worship celebrates God's protection. Has God protected you in times of trouble? Then shout. Psalms 100 says, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. Psalm 47 says, Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. You see, a shout in worship acknowledges God's greatness. Do you serve a great and mighty God? Then shout. Psalm 20 says, We will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up banners in the name of the Lord. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power in his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Shout. Because God answers prayer. Shout because you trust Him. Shout for joy. You see, shouting isn't just an Old Testament thing. In Matthew 21, 8, as Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, it says this, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches in the trees and, and spread them on the road, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We shout in worship because Jesus is alive and Jesus is here. If that don't make you shout, I don't know what will. Finally, if you turn near the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation gives you a picture of what heaven's going to be like. In Revelation 19, verse 1, it says, After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. Shout and worship because it's what we're going to do in heaven. It's been lost. And it's time for it to be found. Shout. Shout when you're in trouble. Shout when God has delivered you from trouble. Just shout. Shout, shout until you reach
to discover our shout again God before the victory comes God that we would shout because you have already won the victory God today Lord as some here are facing obstacles God are facing diagnosis from a doctor God are facing things that that quite honestly seem hopeless there's hope in you God and so today on behalf of those people God before they even get their victory we shout God before they get the breakthrough God we shout God before they get the freedom that they've been seeking you God we shout in advance of the victory 
God, but not just then. God, we're going to shout in anticipation of what you're going to do. But God, we're going to shout in celebration when you do it. God, it's not an either or, it's a both and. God, that you'll find a shouting before you come through and shouting after you come through. God, that you found a shouting before our friend gets salvation and you find a shouting after they've found you. God, that we shout before we've received our healing and we shout after we've received it. God, why? Because you've commanded us to shout. God, not in some weird way to draw attention to us, but God, in a way that exalts and lifts you up. So God, that's our desire as a church, to be a shouting church. God, not to be a crazy church or a weird church, but God, a church that senses when you're moving and will shout in advance of the victory and will celebrate the victory with a shout. God, not a weird church where people look at us and go, what in the world is going on over there? But God, that we'd be sensitive to the move of your Holy Spirit. God, each and every one of us in here wants to be led by your Spirit. God, we want to learn to be more obedient. So God, let us hear your voice. God, when we feel a shout coming on, God, may we sense your move. God, so that we may do everything like Paul instructed the church in Corinth, that everything be done in a fitting and orderly manner. God, that doesn't distract from what you're trying to do, but God adds to it. Today, maybe you'd say, Pastor, There's an obstacle in front of me. There's something going on in my life. And man, I haven't been shouting. Really, I've been bellyaching. I've been whining about it. I've, I've been talking to everybody except Jesus about it. And man, you just need God to show up in a mighty way. You need a miracle from God. And if God doesn't come through, disaster is upon you. If that's you, just raise your hand. Because I want to pray with you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Yeah, I see hands in the back. God, we come to you knowing that you give us hope in situations that seem to be no hope. God, that you give light into situations where there seems to only be darkness. God, when the enemy has come in and has tried to destroy and kill, God, you're the very God that brings life. So God, we pray for our brothers and sisters. God, our family that's here with us this morning. God, that are facing obstacles and they're facing situations that have zero hope. God, may they find hope in Jesus. God, and today in their place, we shout in advance for the victory because we know the victory is coming. God, and as a church, we're going to shout in celebration when you do what it is that only you can do. God, when they look at their situation, God, and they realize that they've done everything they can do and now it's up to Jesus. God, that they'll stop trying to do it on their own and they'll just allow you to do the thing that only you can do. 
God, and may we as a church be there with them, hand in hand, shoulder in shoulder. God, locked together, walking through this as one. God, because we know that everything is better when it's done together. So God, we thank you for the victory now before it's happened. In Jesus' name.